Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, return guest Paula from Canada joins us here in this episode. Former dental hygienist, former truck driver, and of course, the entire trucking industry, of course, exploded in Canada and the United States, and that's ultimately what caused her to leave that particular line of work. But we talk in this episode everything Canada, lots of geopolitical things, and she has an exquisite perspective as to what's going on. And again, there's no doubt about it that Canada is at war. We are at war here in the United States, and it's being felt by a great many people, without a doubt. Certainly the awake, I should say. So give this episode a listen, give this discussion a listen, and again, understand that if you're listening to this, you're not alone. And if you're struggling with a number of different things that are going on in this war, as of course we all are, you're definitely not alone. Because being awake is not an easy thing, as many of us know, and Paula can certainly attest to that, as can her entire family. Being surrounded by individuals who are asleep, and yet within your own immediate family, you're awake. It's, uh, it's not always easy, but it's not supposed to be, because war isn't easy. So give this a listen, ladies and gentlemen. And I'll catch you on Wednesday. I enjoy listening to you. I have the podcast downloaded all the time. And when I'm at work, I'm educating myself on all this. And I, I said to Stacy yesterday, because she's back working where I am, um, just part-time right now, because she's got her two weeks notice in where she is. Um, and I just said to her, you know, I'm trying to articulate how I feel because... I, my trucking company contacted me the other day and asked if I, they noticed that there's a new recruiting uh, person there for truck drivers, go figure, right? And um, they must be desperate for drivers now, even worse than before. Yeah. But she said, oh, I noticed there's a plaque here, you know, for your five years of service. Uh, would you like it mailed? And I'm thinking... She left that message wanting to talk to me because she's hoping I'll come back. And um, so then I went online and I was just looking at what's going on at my company. And I said to Stacey, you know, I feel like I'm a kid eating lunch in the cafeteria by myself. You know, you just feel like what is wrong with all these people that, that I knew, that I worked with, that were nice, you know, just good people and they're all still there and they're all jabbed and and I think what is it why can I see this and they can't and she said that's exactly how I feel too yeah that kid in the cafeteria who's eating by themselves so when I listen to your podcast I know I kind of strayed there you just feel like okay you're with the other kids who'd be eating in the cafeteria by themselves wherever the heck they may be and it's that bond that we are awake and they aren't. So, um, and it's it's just breaking my heart what I'm seeing because I'm seeing a lot of people sick. I'm always wondering if I'm going to get to work and somebody's not going to be there anymore. They're, one of their children are going to be dead. Um, it's just devastating. So, I know you said you wanted to talk about the euthanasia. Yeah, I tell you what, let let me expand a little bit on what you just said because there's a lot there. That's it's really important what you what you brought up. You know, I was going to ask you about whether or not 
your old trunking company had had uh, had reached out to you and was interested in having you back because, like you said, they have to be hurting for drivers. Well, because of those emails that I wrote, they knew what strong stance I had as far as the shots go, and um, and the whole idea of nobody's going to force me to take poison. So. I know I know that I was off sick with my shoulder in the past, and they reached out on, to me on a regular basis. You know, how are you doing? You know, when do you think you can come back? And I've been off since last November, and I've heard nothing. Nothing. So no matter how desperate they are, they are so woke there. Um they're not going to reach out to me because I'm, it's just, when I say I, I feel like a kid sitting at the cafeteria by myself, it's, how do you, how do you explain this? Okay, about a year prior to that, I, there was a new uh, person in dispatch. Uh, I just felt like my, my issues that concerns that I had about when I was training weren't being um, addressed properly. So I was looking elsewhere because there's a demand and there's a good company really close to me. So when the safety coordinator heard that I was looking elsewhere, she called me and she said, Paula, I'm not letting you go anywhere. Like, we do not want to lose you. What can we do to help this situation out? So you went from that, where I was a valued employee, they knew, you know, I was, with any job I've done, whether it was dental hygiene, whether it was trucking, even the job I'm doing now, which is just a minimum wage job kind of thing, um, just helping me pay for grocery, you know, increases and um, gas prices, I've always done my best, so I, I, I I was admired for what, how I worked and my work ethic. So all of a sudden, because of this issue, all of a sudden they had no problem letting me go. And that's where you feel that isolation. That's where you feel like you are the leper. And no matter how that makes me feel, like I couldn't sleep that night. It was bothering me. But in the end, I'm still a pureblood, and I know and I see what's going on. I have eyes to see and I have ears to hear. And, you know, my husband looks at it differently. He says, why, does, why do you let this bother you? He says, you, you know that they're all going to die. And I said, well, yeah, that bothers me too because they're, to be honest with you, I had this stigma in my head when I first looked at the tr truck driving. I, I had a an opinion that they were, you know, dirty teeth, overweight, you know, I had, I didn't have a very high opinion of them. And then when I got into it, I realized there are a lot of good people there. There were people that were engineers. There were, I was a dental hygienist. There were retired teachers. There were aren't military people there. And I realized there are a lot of good people that are always there to help you. And I look at them now and I just feel this deep sadness because I know what's coming for them. And there's nothing I can do. It's like they, they, their, their feet are magnetized to the train tracks and the train's coming and I can't push them off. They've done it to themselves. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if you want to 
comment on that, but yeah, they did. They, they have not reached out to me. Now, this was the first time, but she is new. So she wouldn't have known what I had said last November. And oh, and that same woman who said, uh, we aren't letting you go. And, you know, you go off sick. I had my fuel cards. I had my, uh, you know, my cards for when I cross the fast lane at the border and all these specific cards when you're working with the trucking company. And last year when I went off, I didn't say I'm going off because of this. I said I'm going off sick for stress leave. And um, she, that same woman called me and said, oh, uh, you know, where, where are you going to hand in your cards um, before you go off? And I said, why would I hand off my cards? I'm just going off sick. So, because she knew, she, she, she obviously knew that I wasn't going to be coming back because of these mandates. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, that one truck driver, you know, the ones that were the decent guys that have been there for years and years, just supporting their families and everything. And they're just good, just good people. They're all, they're all jabbed and, and they'll keep probably getting the jobs. Now, the one, the one guy that disappointed me the most was the one who was completely awake. I told you about this last time, I believe, and, and he said, oh, you know, I ended up getting it. And I said, John, with everything you know, you, you got it. Well, you know, I, he, but he was stupid with money. He had a lot of debt. And, and I thought, well, no excuse. In my opinion, no one was coerced because we all had a choice. I'd be on the street in a paper, like in a cardboard box before I would ever cave to this. Yeah. I'm but right he there. caved. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, 100%. You know, so, I, you know I, I'll tell you what. I'm sorry. Let me, let me mention this very quickly, because I think this is a theme throughout this entire conversation. And you said it right at the beginning. You, you said that, you know, you feel like a child at a cafeteria table sitting by themselves. Mm-hmm. That's not an accident. Because if you, <laughs> if, you, if you examine the environment of a school building, the child who sits by themselves at a cafeteria is uncomfortable with what they're seeing and what they're hearing. They're looking around, they're, they're quiet, they're observant, they're seeing the entire landscape for what it is, and to them, it looks completely manufactured, it looks completely artificial, there's no authenticity in it whatsoever, and actually, the student who is sitting by themselves, eating lunch by themselves, and just observing and watching the entire landscape is the most intelligent. It's almost always the case. In fact, you can take that same mentality into probably any working environment. The problem is, is that endless working environments, and again, even the school environment from when we're children, is is teaching us to drive that feeling out of us, to make us not observant, to make us not pay attention to what's going on around us and think for ourselves. So much so that I would say that at least two-thirds of modern society now has driven people to the point where they don't have an original thought and they don't do anything on their own thinking for themselves. They're simply just repeating what other people are doing. And I think that that comes from 
again, given the fact that it's probably at least two thirds, is that you have individuals that naturally fall into line. And I, you know, you would probably agree with me that we think that those people are dangerous because those, because they don't know what they're doing to themselves, the people around them, all of that. But then there's something else, which is equally as dangerous, which makes up another third, which is you have individuals that, that want to be a part of something. And they're so desperate to associate and be a part of something that they fear not being a part of it more than they do being a part of it. I yeah, mean, it, I could never relate to that. Yeah, me, me neither. Me neither. Not ever. Never. And my husband either. He was one of these, he said, you know, these kids, you always have the new new clothes on beginning of school. He said, no, not me. You know, I wore what I, what's the difference, right? He was always a very independent thinker. And now we're in school. I was a rule follower. I did. I, I was a good student. I did get good grades. I was in that trap to some degree. But at the same time, I didn't go with the flow of the other kids. I never cared if I was the popular kid. I never cared about any of that stuff. I did my own thing and that was it. And that might be what sets us apart from everybody is that we all do our own thing. No matter where we are in the world. Yeah. I, I don't know. I got, no matter where I've been, I, I've, like, we did everything different, even in our own life. We didn't get a house in the suburbs. We didn't, we didn't do any of that. We, we built the place I'm at now. We were actually, we wanted to live, uh, you know, more out in rural area. We built all this with our two hands over, over 20 years on weekends and stuff on top of our, our jobs. And then we, we had a plan. We were going to move up here and we've been here 10 years now, but it was all these people were looking at us like we were fish out of water. Like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just get a, a mortgage and get a box in the suburbs and be like everyone else? And we said, we, we know what we want. And we're going to do it. So I don't know, might be sound weird to a lot of people, but here we are, we made it, but it was a lot of work, but we never followed the crowd. Yeah. So, um, people have to, they have to live their lives and recognize that maybe the life they're living isn't their own. It's just a mirrored well, image of someone else's. Well, the, when I was a dental hygienist, uh, the one associate, uh, was Korean and the Korean culture, they're all living for the people around them. It was so sad. He was working so hard and he was not, nothing was for him. Nothing was for him. It was all for show. It was all for, you know, he made a comment to me once, oh, you know, Korean women have it so hard. They, you know, they have to live up. I said, no, I said, you're putting her in that box. You're putting yourself in that box. I said, you can live independently and do your own thing. Oh, no, you don't understand. I said, I do understand. I said, you you guys have put yourself in that box. And it, it, it the ears were plugged. And, and, and I, I have no idea. I have no connection with that office anymore. They're from the city that we came from. And um, I I don't have any contact with him, but I can guarantee you he would have had every job um, if that's what his community was doing and be, to keep his office going, he would have complied with everything because he was in ma massive debt to try and keep up with the Joneses and all that stuff. And that's why I never even went on social media. I, I don't have 
any social media because I just don't care what anyone else is doing. I'm doing my thing. Right. And, um, you know, the people I'm working with now, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're the working poor. Okay. I'm lucky. I'm not working, doing this job to survive. They are, I don't even know how the heck they're doing it, but I'll just give you an example of how I feel a little, like, I don't feel like I fit in here either. I don't really care. It's just the one girl, the one I, where I wrote to you, she has cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, I was working with her quite a bit. Um, she does her marijuana. She does her oil. She does, you know, that they do it. Two of the guys there go out in their trucks on break and at lunch and they're doing their marijuana. And, and here's Paula saying, well, my endorphins come from exercise. Cause all, you know, they say, oh, you don't, you know, you do this stuff. I said, no, I don't need that stuff. I go out in the woods to get my high. I go for a walk to get my high. And that makes them feel uncomfortable, right? So she was sick and she had to get the surgery done and was not able to find anybody to stay at her house to watch her animal. She has a German shepherd and a cat. I don't have any young kids or anything. Um, you know, my husband's retired. He could stay here and watch our cat. And I said, okay, you know, I'll, I have no problem. I'll stay at your house for three days. I'll take Lily for walks. No problem. And she was resisting and she was resisting and she was trying to find somebody else, somebody else. And, and I finally said to her, Lisa, if you don't want me to, that's fine. I said, I realize we've only known each other about six months, but just know that the offer's here. And she finally caved because she had no one else. But it made me wonder, is she resisting because I make her feel uncomfortable because I'm different from her? And I don't conform. I don't have the shots. I don't, you know, none of that stuff. I just found it curious. But it's probably a combination of a number of things. I mean, she probably knows you're not jabbed. You're not playing the game. She is right. She's jabbed. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's yep. that's part of it too. That cognitive dissonance physically pushes not just individuals away from facts, but it pushes the individuals who know that other people know what's going on, it causes them to not want to be around them. Yeah, I think it makes them feel uncomfortable. I'll give you another example of just an, I, I like I sit back and observe all the time. And um, from day one that I, I started at this place, they had a picnic table in the back and I made a comment. I was just there for the cats. There were two cats that were there homeless and it somehow fell on me that I was feeding them every day and I was even going on the weekend to make sure they were fed. And the one, he had a really bad infection in his mouth. And so I, I, first of all, the compassion of it, I saw he was suffering and then I'm a dental hygienist. So I'm on that like crazy. Cause I'm, I know what can happen with an infection like that. And it was just brooding. It was getting worse. And I, I finally, I took him to the vet, um, in November and they said, well, we can do surgery on him in, in December. And, um, I was trying to fundraise at the, the place I, I'm at just to see if I could build up enough money to help me with this endeavor. Cause I knew it was going to be expensive and you people never act. They just sit back. 
They talk a lot, but they just sit back. They never act. And I think that's the whole problem with what's going on right now. There's a lot of people just yapping, but nobody is willing to actually do anything. And eventually what happened is I said, well, no, I, I changed my mind. I said, we cannot, I cannot in good conscience take him for that surgery in December 28th. We had an appointment set, scheduled and then bring him back out into this cold shed when it's freezing cold and I don't have any place to, to keep him. I can't take him home because my cat fights with other male cats. So there was one other girl in the whole entire place, you know, out of 15 of us that she said, well, how about we look at the Humane Society? And we ended up, good story, We his name was Cecil. He's just an old guy and uh, just just a ham, you know, he'd follow anybody. And uh, they did the surgery for free. They have him up for adoption now. And I don't have to worry about him being cold or lonely or because he wasn't feral. Somebody had dropped him off. But my point to that whole story is that you'd get all these people, the same ones that I'm always trying to wake up with these little lines. And they'd say, yeah, it's sad. You know, he'd get this big glob of drool coming off the side of his mouth. And I'd be wiping it off saying, it's okay, buddy. We're going to try and fix you up. And everybody would say, yeah, it's bad. But when I said I'm going to bring him to the Humane Society, not to euthanize him, but to fix him, they said they'd do the surgery on him. They were saying, well, I actually have people not talking to me. And they were saying, well, this is his home. I said, I've got an idea. I said, how about tonight, instead of sleeping in your warm bed, you come out in the back here and you sleep in the styrofoam cooler with them when it's minus 30. And they shut up. So that's, I think, our problem. And that's where I feel despair because I think there's so much complacency. There's so much in action with everything. It's just yap, 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 but nobody's doing. And, you know, if you listen to Karen Kingston, you know, you must listen, you must follow her. You must have heard her on Sue Peters or whatever. Yeah. And she's talking about we need to do, not just talk anymore. Like, come on, all the facts are here. David Martin, same thing, Dr. David Martin. Why isn't anything being done? See, that's an interesting, that's an interesting topic because as you've probably heard me say and I'm not saying this to defend myself but the way that I am just internally and just the way that I'm built is that I have to exhaust as many avenues as humanly possible to get the message across so that it, at the very least the people around me in particular again government and the individuals that your average citizen is, is allowed to communicate with regarding government officials that they know what's going on. And, you know, that, that that's something that me personally that I've done is I've exhausted every avenue that I possibly can. I mean, I've talked with count, a county prosecutor. I've talked with individuals at the sheriff's office. I, of course, spork, uh, you know, spoke at the uh, school board and, and so on and so forth. No one knows what's going on. And now, after you speak to these people, does, do they do anything? No, they don't because they're no. because they're jabbed. Many of them, are, many of them are jabbed. It's destroyed their frontal lobe. Do you think that they actually just have that 
passive nature to them because of that now? See, I think I think that there it, that's highly possible. That's highly possible. We know that it's Im- we know that it's impacting decision making the jab specifically, but it was well over I mean, good god. This could have been back in 2021. I recall writing a Substack article and I said this is the perfect crime. I said it's the mm-hmm. perfect crime because you have endless avenues of individuals who have taken this, which means if you were to bring this to a court, you're having to convince the judge who's probably taken it that it's a biological weapon. You're mm-hmm. having to you're having to prove to the defense attorneys for organizations, groups, whoever it is, that this is a biological weapon. Well, they've taken it too, most likely. I mean, every avenue of law and justice, so to speak, that you would expect would do something about this is on the losing end of it, which means why would they prosecute against their own specific perceived self-interest? You see what I mean? I do, and that's why it's so frustrating, Sean, because I think, how do we get out of this unless we just rely completely on the higher power? Because we are all awake, and yet, how do you how do you break through this concrete wall? You know, I think that's where we all are right now, and yeah. that's where, you know, how I'm surviving mentally is because when I think about that concrete wall, and I think, well... I don't know. I feel like we have the little hammers from Shawshank Redemption, that little rock hammer, and we're we're all just trying to get through that rock wall with that. We need sledgehammers by this point. Yeah. So the only thing helping me to get through the days where I can actually feel sane is beyond my exercise is just the feeling of gratitude for what I have on a daily basis, you know, to, to just have gratitude and, and to... to actually appreciate what I have on a daily basis because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, it's getting bad here in Canada. It's, it's worse here than in the States, I believe. Yeah. And, and I definitely, I want to get into that, uh, right now actually, but you know, I, I know that you have the powers of reflection just like a lot of us do in particular, those of us who are awake, you, you cannot help, I think, but think backwards right to the moment of conception, when you know that God built us the way that we were for a very specific reason, and that had to have been for this time. I believe that. Yeah. I mean, we're 100% awake, as as awake as we can be, but uh, awake enough to be able to see things multidimensionally the best that we can, and understand, you know, I mean, again, we're, we're outside of the matrix, which means we can see people who are operating inside of it, and it breaks our heart. Mm-hmm. It's tough to watch. But at least we're awake, and at least we can do the things that we're doing and, and, and operate the way that we're operating. I, I strongly believe, too, that, again, more people have to see what's going on. More people have to, unfortunately, become ill and pass away. And it has to reach a particular point where it's absolutely undeniable that that well, these shots are the cause, the people who pushed it are the cause. And I think that we're, we're continuously building to that particular point. And again, you know, Justin Castro in Canada, he's, he's a piece of work. And you've heard me say on my show, I think he is arguably the worst gaslighter that exists. Oh. Uh. I, I, Sean, I can't even listen. <laughs> oh, I can't. 
His voice. It's oh. painful. It's, it's, it, I'd rather put pins in my eyes yeah. than listen to him. I can't handle listening to him. It's the worst. And, uh, you know, I, I listen to Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson sometimes. She's Canadian, and she has a lot of good guests on there, you know, and she'll play something from, from Justin Trudeau, and I, I just, I can't, I have to actually mute it. I can't listen to it. You're right. Gaslighter, he could shoot you and stand there with a gun and say, I didn't just shoot you. Right, with microphones in his face, cameras rolling, a crowd around him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a full-blown oh, yeah. psychopath. Yep, and uh, I I don't know. I, I see, like, that girl who has cancer, I met her sister who is double-jabbed as well. And what's really weird with people, she was talking to me. She lost her son. Um, he was on the side of the road last a year ago in October looking for a pair of sunglasses. He was riding his motorcycle with his girlfriend, got off the side of the road to look for the sunglasses that flew out of her hands, and a car came and killed him Good while he was standing God. there. Drove right into him. So Angie was just... She she kept saying, I haven't been feeling well since Chris died. And she was giving me all these symptoms she had. And I said, by any chance, when did you get the injection? And she said, well, the first one was two weeks before Chris died. And then uh, Chris's girlfriend and I went for the second one a month later or something. And I said, you're thinking it's from Chris's death, but it's from the injection." And I told her to go ask for a D-dimer test. I said, I don't know if the doctor will do it because they're all asleep. <laughs> I have a funny story to tell you. If you don't laugh, you're going to cry, right? <laughs> when my husband went for his cataract surgery, we had uh, they had the mask Nazi at the entranceway in the hospital, and they made us put a mask on or he couldn't go in. So we, in order to survive that and not go insane, we wear the mask on our chin. As basically f you, right? Sure. No one says anything. It's just it's hilarious when you're outside the matrix looking at this, and you think no one even cares. So when he was actually getting his eye done, my husband pulled the mask down under his nose because he doesn't like that, right? So after the surgery was done, because he was awake, the doctor <laughs> stopped what he was doing took the mask with his finger and his thumb, put it back over his nose and pinched it tight. <laughs> wow. It's like, are you kidding me? It's been off his nose the whole time, and now you care? How asleep are you? How hypnotized are you? It was, it, we're living in, oh my God, it's just painful some days. I've heard endless stories just like that. Endless stories. I, I mean, I even I even experienced that myself too. I was nose to nose with the nurse in a hospital in two thousand uh, two thousand twenty one, and I and I wouldn't wear the mask. And she said, "You just have to." I mean, again, we were nose to nose, but she eventually said, "Look, just put it on your chin, and then just walk twenty five yards this way." That's all you have to do. And once we get in the room, you can take it off. And I looked at her and I thought, did you just hear what you just said? Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. And that's why, like, I know it doesn't matter. Like, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a teacher or a nurse. 
or I ended up as a dental hygienist, but I can say without a doubt, if I was a dental hygienist when this all went down, I still wouldn't be working as a dental hygienist, just like I'm not a trucker anymore, because there's no way I would have been able to play the game and say to somebody, okay, you're going to have your mask on in the waiting room. You're going to walk back to my operatory with me with your mask on. And then <laughs> I'm going to put you, recline you down in my chair and I'm going to tell you, okay, you can take your mask off so I can work on you. I would not have been able to play the game. <laughs> oh, I, know. <laughs> Probably I know. Said, okay, you got to go, Paula. You know, speaking so, of dental hygienists real quick, there, there, was a, there was a dental hygienist who used to work on me during, during this time. And uh, no. certainly since 2020. And she seemed like the kind of person that would uh, unfortunately fall for the whole thing. Sure enough, I mean, she fell for the whole thing. When I went back <laughs> to her, of course, I never wore a mask inside of the office, but they would come up and they would take your temperature and I'd look at them very sarcastically and say, am I still alive? And they'd go, yeah, yeah you're alive. And I go, all right. <laughs> and then I'd kind of chuckle and, you know, whatever, just make fun of the process. I got back into her room. And she's wearing two masks and a face shield. <laughs> that's my doctor. Right. That's what's taught. That's exactly what my doctor looks like. Yeah. And I, I, are you kidding me? Even, You're a even, I know. And even today, I mean, I, I, it was right before Christmas. I, I, I went back to get my teeth cleaned and I hadn't been there in quite some time, but I went back and she, uh, she was there. She didn't work on me. But she was there, and she was standing as far away from people as you could possibly imagine, sort of like in this break room, but it was out in the open, and she's still wearing two masks that are suction-cupped right to her face. And she, she yeah, saw well, me. I mean, she saw me, and I, wa and I walked right past her, and she just gave me, like, I mean, of course, they're wearing masks, so I can't, you can't gauge yeah. their mouth at all. But it was just the dirtiest look you could possibly imagine, because, again, it's like, what do you not see here? You know, yeah. what, what are you not getting? But I'm sure she fell for the jabs, and it's just so sad. Yeah, of course. Of course, like the one girl I still, I have contact with from my old dental office, she, she's, she was a receptionist there, and she said she's in a new office now, and she said it's amazing. She said they're all, most of them are asleep. Most of them took the injections. She and her husband did not. Um. But yeah, it's, it's just amazing to me. I'll tell you what, um, if you don't mind, let's do this. Let's jump in the time machine and let's go back to the, to the end of the trucker convoy. Yep. And kind of pick up from there. And then if you can take us through again, this past year, sort of politically and the things that you've seen go, go on. And let me just ask you this, just to kind of get the ball rolling. We, we all, of course, were paying attention to the trucker convoy here. The mainstream media wasn't really covering it. And if they were, they were spinning it, uh, mm -hmm. certainly into, into a more radical direction. You know, they don't want to go along with the COVID blah, blah, blah. And they don't want to do this and they don't want to do that rather than what they're actually fighting for. Right. And uh, right. But yeah, I mean, in, in, in summary, in your opinion, from your perspective there, was it impactful? Did it have an impact, and and has that impact stuck, or has have people just sort of forgotten about it? Okay, it wasn't impactful as far as what we were hoping would come out of it. You know, it because as soon as the violence started, 
with those goons that they recruited in. I believe they were UN people. I don't believe they were just our officers. Oh, ironically, I should tell you that the whole Ottawa Police Department, they were not mandated to have the injections. There you go. So it's funny how that happened, You're right? Kidding. Yeah. So um, it didn't happen the way we would have liked where something could have actually been resolved from this. The only thing I think that was beneficial is it did help wake up people uh, to some degree. More people than, than were awake because there were people who actually went down there and they said they wanted to see for themselves what was going on because the media was spinning it a certain way and they realized, no, this wasn't violent. This was nothing aggressive. This was nothing, well, let's go with Trudeau's line, racist and misogynistic. No, there were bouncy castles there and it was all about love and unity. So Stacy and Damien did go there too and they were commenting on just how fantastic it was. And I think they, well, Ottawa and Canada, they had to suppress that, right? You can't have that high, high vibration going on for too long. And you have to squelch that hope in people. Right. And so it's kind of like it did do something good. But at the same time, I think it really was detrimental to a lot of people who really felt hopeful. Because here we are now. They're trying to take more guns away. Um, they're not that successful, though. Like Because it the, seems like some of the provinces now are... They wanted to start with Prince Edward Island. And I, I think my husband just said to me this morning that that's not going to happen now. And Alberta, we've got that premier from Alberta, Danielle Smith. I still wonder what's going on. Like It seems too good to be true. Like, she's really outwardly talking about the WEF and um, you know we're not going to allow this to happen here and the guns no you're not getting them so and also they're coming after the farmers too and some of the provinces are speaking up about that and saying no this is not happening so yeah we have a huge fight on our hands let's face it look what's going on in Netherlands with the farmers right yeah yeah I was going to so, I was going to ask you about the Alberta premier and what you thought about her. I I I'm I'm cautious with everything. I always wonder, okay, what's up? I can't just say I can't just trust it and say, "Oh yeah, this is good." I I I, I hope. Yeah. You know, I don't know. And same with like uh, you know, my husband, he he listens to Pierre Polyev. He's the guy he's trying to run for the uh, conservative party and I said you don't get it yet it's not red and blue you know you know that right he says yeah but you know he, he is talking certain truths I said yeah they they, they all do because they got to play the game but then when they get in are they going to stick to what they're saying you know when when these guys when the, the uh, parasites get a hold of them and say no you're going to do it our way you know, is he going to cave at that point? Because we had some other leaders like uh, Derek Sloan and Maxime Bernier that were trying to get uh, to be the leaders of the Conservative Party. And the Conservative Party voted them out in the end, like made sure they did not get in. 
anybody who had too much of a strong opposition to what they were supposed to do, um, they weren't allowed. So when Pierre Polyev is allowed in, you think, okay, what's up? Yeah. Hmm. Politicians. So I, I, they're all politicians. Yeah, exactly. Like, look at Doug Ford in, in Ontario. Right. If you look at him during any of these uh, press conferences, or he looks like a scared, overweight rat. I, I don't know. He just, he looks like they've put the fear of God into him. It, so I had heard that he had, his, his, he was worth two million and now he's worth millions and millions because one of his, his factories uh, made some of those signs for the six feet distancing and all that. So I don't know if they bribed him, if they threatened him. Um, but yeah, Ontario's really bad. So given but, the, I mean, given the COVID policies and everything, I mean, have, ha, has any of that gone away? I mean, you said earlier regarding your husband's surgery, you know, they had you have the masks over your chins and everything. But if you're going into a basic store or anywhere for that matter, I mean, are, are they forcing this on people still? Is that still a thing that's taking oh, place? No, not now. Not now. It's... Uh it's now it's no you do what you want to do but there'll be signs be kind to people who are still wearing masks i thought geez i wonder why they weren't kind to us when we didn't want to wear them right it's ironic how that goes but yeah you still see we were out yesterday um and we went to the grocery store in a it was a bigger town not in our small town and uh I was pleased to see there weren't as many people wearing masks as there were at, like when the mandates first ended, but you still do see, um, mask wearers, but it's not forced on, you now. never, I, I, I wouldn't, uh, I didn't wear it in public before, but it was a real struggle because you had the mask Nazis coming up are going to complain and saying that person's not wearing one. And then you'd get the, the person from the bakery department coming over to you and saying, excuse me, you know, did you, where's, where's your mask or whatever. And I said, Oh, so I have an exemption and they'd, oh, okay. And they'd leave you alone. They smile at you. Oh, I guess the health pandemic doesn't matter then if you have an exemption, right? It's so, it's so bizarre when you see that, Yeah. you know, my husband would go into a metal shop and, the, the woman behind the desk would say, oh, you know, sir, can you please put your mask on? He said, oh, I have an exemption. And, oh, I'm sorry. That's okay then. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he'd walk out and he'd say, you know, can't they see if it was about health, those exemptions? You know, it's just bizarre world. What's but, uh, yeah, they don't force it now. Um None of that's going on right now, but there has been talk about it possibly coming back. Um, there was something on the news back in the fall about, you know, they were trying to scare people with this new variant. And my one boss, I don't know if I told you this, he had, he had said to me, oh, you know, we want people to wear masks here again. And I said, no, I'm good, thanks. I have an immune system. And I walked away. He had no idea how to handle me. Yeah. So he just left me alone. You know, but that's the difference. The other people there, oh, I'm not wearing a mask again. I'm not wearing a mask again. And as soon as he said, wear a mask, mm 
they were all wearing a mask. And I said to the girl who has cancer, I said, well, you just told me last week you weren't going to wear one again. Yeah, well, he signs my paycheck. I said, that's right. He signs your paycheck. He's not Lord of the Manor here, though. He's not a doctor. He's nothing. You don't have to do that. And then when I was walking around without one, they wore it for maybe one day and then they gave up. And they, as they thought, there you go, follow the leader. Wow, there you That's go. That's all it takes, right? Yep, that's it. Because it's not, no one's wearing it out of fear. And if the, there were still two out of the 15 people that were wearing a mask, they continued to wear it. And I thought, well, you do whatever you want. But the ones who were wearing it, not because of fear, but because of compliance, because of fear of getting in trouble, they all caved and followed me. So that was a good thing. That was a really good thing. That made me feel happy. But um, I have some stories like there was a neighbor here. He was 86 years old um, last summer. He's sitting around the fire pit with my husband and said, oh, you know, you and Paula get, get the injections. And Lothar said, why would we do that? And uh, Harvey said to him, oh, I thought you were smarter than that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, my, and my husband said, well, actually, we are. And this year he showed up. He, he's only a cottager here. He's not here all the time. So he showed up, uh, we hadn't seen him. And I thought, oh, geez, you know, Harvey's getting up there maybe. And he, we knew he had the injections. He showed up in the middle of the summer. And he said, oh, you know, I haven't been feeling well. I was hospitalized for um, a month with uh, lung infection. And all my friends have been sick because he was one of these old retired guys that go hang out at McDonald's every morning and talk to all his buddies. And they've, they've, he said that we're all constantly sick. And my husband said to him, well, you know why, right? Because you weren't as smart as us and you got the injections last year. And, and Harvey was completely quiet. Because deep down, he knows. And I said to him, Harvey, I said, you owned a business. I said, you know, I know you're a millionaire. I said, you're a smart guy. I said, so listen to what I'm going to tell you. And I said, write down some of these websites and look some stuff up. And I gave him the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, which, which is a bunch of awake doctors here in Canada that have all kinds of facts and data and everything else. And uh, gave him the highwire.com and drtrozy.org and never saw him again the rest of the summer. So I don't know if he's sick. Or if he can't face the truth. I have no idea. Sounds My like mother-in-law has three shots in the flu shot, and she can hardly walk now. She is full of inflammation. Um, it's almost paralyzing her. My brother, well, he's a health hazard all in itself. He's not well to begin with. Um, had a drug problem his whole life, and... So you don't know if it's the shots, but I did warn him not to take them. He had three, and now he's in such significant pain, he can't even lift his arms. He can hardly walk. And the social people, social 
I don't know what you call them, the mental health people that come and talk to him or see him because he lives with my mother. They act like they don't know what, what's wrong with them, right? I, and my mother's completely asleep. She doesn't, she just keeps telling me what the TV tells her. So there's no waking her up, but she didn't get the shots because of a fear because she had a bad reaction to another kind of shot for her osteoporosis years ago. So that's the only thing that saved her so far. This girl at work um, is always about health and eating right. She took two shots so she could watch her young son play hockey. That young son, who is one of the nicest leader personality type kids, just a really stand-up kid. He's almost 14. He had two shots to continue to play hockey. He's very talented. There's already agents pursuing his parents as far as uh, representing him for the NHL. Like, this kid could be going somewhere, but he has two shots in him now. The the girl, uh, the mother, who had the two shots, she's been sick four times since I started working there in June. She said she was so sick she could hardly get out of bed for five days. She was sleeping constantly. Now, what's interesting is I gave her three websites to look up information. She never came back to me and said, oh, that was interesting, Paula. Oh, I learned a lot, Paula. No, she's kept completely quiet. But the only thing she said to me is, oh, my husband's thinking of getting his fourth shot for work or whatever. And I said, well, I just matter-of-factly said to her, well, Melissa, if... You want to be a widow, then you go ahead and encourage them. And um, she didn't say anything else. She also she told me she has a friend who has twin babies, and the one died of RSV. Yeah, maybe six months old. No, eight months old. And I didn't even ask if it got the shot, but I'm pretty sure. Um, the shots are available for six months and up here, so. You saw that. Did you have that on your This Is War with Dr. Teresa Tam and Mrs. Claus? Talking to Mrs. Claus? Yes. Isn't, like, that creature, that I can almost, I, I think it's almost worse to look at her than Castro. I, I, it's demonic. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a man. I think so, too. Yeah. If it's even human, I don't know. Not to mention. Sometimes I wonder. Yeah, 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 no kidding. But I mean, (laughs) the the production value alone of that particular video is is so ridiculous and so stupid that what Canadian watches that and thinks to themselves, you know what? Those are the people I need to follow. Those are the people I need to pay attention to. Isn't it scary? And the fact that they thought it was a good idea. Yeah. We're going to do this. People are going to believe it. This is going to be a lot of fun. It was, uh, yeah, embarrassing doesn't even do it justice. It, it, like, you, like you said, it, it was demonic. Yeah. Yeah, e- evil's too light a word now. I, I, I go with demonic because that sounds even worse because this is just... Anybody who had any doubt about good versus evil... <laughs> no kidding. There's no doubt anymore. Speaking of demonic, what about the the euthanasia rollout? I mean, how how have Canadians actually responded to that? 
Oh, you know something? I, uh, it's, it's actually, they had to put on hold. They were going to start in March, uh, allowing the mentally ill to uh, decide for euthanasia. And they postponed it because I think there is significant pressure. But I do believe they will still go ahead with it. I was, I, did you hear that interview on Stu Peters with uh, Odessa from Liberty Canada? I, she was talking about the euthanasia and that made that, uh, it's called MADE. And um, she said they, they want to do it for the mentally ill. They are, the Canadian uh, government is actually lying and saying that they're only doing it for people who are terminal or in extreme pain but that that is a lie. And uh, there was one case of a man who had had a tumor in his head. He had to have surgery. They offered a maid instead, and he was horrified, and he said, no, I want the surgery, and he had it. They took care of the, the situation, and three months after, he was treating himself with, I guess, CBD oil and was managing everything, and everything seemed okay, and they actually called him and offered him made again. He did not go looking for it. So you wonder, are they being offered monetary incentives? Um, that, has, they, that has to be it, doesn't it? It has to be. But, but it, then who? Yeah. Who yeah. do that? No kidding. What kind of a person would pick up the phone and go, okay, are you sure you don't want to kill yourself? Yeah. And there was another story she said of another man who was in the hospital, you know, somebody's father in his late sixties. And he was offered it three times until he told them to go take a hike. And now she mentioned that they actually, there's a, on a, a board where have we heard this before. There's a board of experts. There's a panel. The leader of the panel is Dr. Nora Gupta, and they are pushing for euthanasia for, for kids over 12 and up. And the sad thing is, in Canada, they've already got it. Where I don't, You probably know that even with these kids who want to be trans, the parents don't have to consent to it. If they're 12 and over, the state can take them. And a parent can be in prison for going against it. You can't even say anything. There was one guy that was put in prison because he was fighting for his daughter. And they, they even put a gag order on him. They, so they want to have euthanasia for 12 and up. No parental consent, consent required. You'll be told, but that's it. She gave a story of a 17-year-old who was suicidal. They took him to the hospital. And then the mother was notified 10 days later that her son wanted made and they suicided him in the hospital and that veteran who was asking for help from the federal government uh for some chairlift or something because she's paraplegic she was in the olympics paraplegic uh, olympics and everything so not a not a deadbeat and they offered her made because they said we can't afford that. They can afford millions and billions to Ukraine, but they can't afford to help their veterans. And this is the thing that I actually had to turn the podcast off when I heard this and just go take a break or something because it, it sent chills up me. 
they want to have it so that if a mother has a baby, if at any time during that first year you decide you don't want it, you can take it in and have it euthanized. That's unbelievable. I don't even think Monic can fit that one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's already abortion up till birth, but now, well, nah, it's like take the kid home, he has colic or, you know, throwing up a little bit too much. Maybe we'll just euthanize it. We don't really want this anymore. So they have already had more deaths from euthanasia in Canada per year than these other countries that have had it for years, like the Netherlands. And I, I, there is another country, I can't remember which one it was, but Canada has already exceeded that. I think it was up to 10,000 last year. And another interesting observation that I make is I, I did my hygiene um, work um, in Niagara Falls. And I always look back at the obituaries because I'm always looking to see if somebody I know, because I knew a lot of people there through all these patients I treated, had relationships with. And so this has been something I've been doing for the last 10 years when, when I'm just checking obituaries. There has been a significant increase um, of really older people. Like there's always older people that are dying, but I mean significant increase in the amount of obituaries I'm seeing for really old people and also died suddenly for 50-something and 60-something people. Yeah. Um, big time. Yeah. There was one patient I had that last January, I read that her sister died in December and then her husband died in January and her father died in February. And I thought, well, wonder if they took the shots. And one of my instructors from college, you know, she was a young, healthy, just 66 years old. No reason to have uh, her die. And she's she's gone now, too. So it just keeps going. Yeah. I saw this. Uh, I, I put this on my Gab page the other day. There was, I want to say, 4, 8, 12, 16, at least 16 minors for the most part, most of them are minors, at least 16, uh, you know, they've got their pictures and their ages and everything. And it's, and it just, I mean, it claims that health authorities, mainstream media in, in Canada, of course, isn't talking about it, but at least 16 individuals have died in the last six weeks alone. Of course, of what actually it was 23 because Dr. Marcus, he's a Canadian doctor. He was speaking out about the, the children's death. There we go. And he had 23 of them. Um, that was on actually Laura Lynn, uh, Tyler Thompson's uh, show, and uh, he had the pictures of them, which is a good, impactful thing too to have. But yeah. you know, seven years old died suddenly. Um, you know, and 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 you know, he doesn't he doesn't have proof that they've had the injections, right? right? But you can look at every child who wanted to play hockey. Oh yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So these were hockey players. They, you know, you can you can just draw your own conclusions here, right? A high school basketball player, seventeen years old, stroke and died suddenly, or heart attack. It's 
it just keeps going on and on. And university um, students too. Yes, of course. Of course. You know, this stretches into another avenue of thought, which I've read a lot of theories about it, and it makes sense because we know that there's a depopulation agenda in play. But if they're trying to kill off, and they're being rather successful, unfortunately, in, in killing off a number of Canadians, who who is it exactly that... Well, actually, let, let me mention this first before I get into the depopulation thing and, and who they're going to replace these people with. Regarding the whole euthanasia made thing, was that an executive order of some kind signed by Trudeau, or was that did that, that actually go through the courts and now that's law? This, the what they want to talk about pushing for twelve and up, that has to go through some. I don't believe it's a law. I think it's like this board that's recommending, and then they're sneaking these these things through. Like right now, I don't know if you heard about B uh, Bill C thirty six where they want to um, really interfere with the doctor's rights in British Columbia. They've snuck this through in legislation. It's that third reading. And all of a sudden, somebody uh, found out about this because they're doing all this, just like the gun grab. They're doing this all under the cloak and dagger of nighttime, kind of put this thing in here. And they're trying to do things not, well, they're certainly not doing it, um, with high visibility they're they're just they're just trying to put these things through it's not not like what it would have been in the past i don't know the details i can't say oh yes you know i'm a i'm a specialist in political politics but this bill c36 it's like that california law with the doctors where if you speak any narrative against what the government is telling you or your board is telling you to do you can get a two hundred thousand dollar fine lose your license and your business license and your, your license to practice. And so um, the, the Odessa from Liberty Canada was saying that there are doctors meeting in private meetings, you know, not even allowing cell phones in because they don't want to be found out that they're being dissidents, I guess. And I'm thinking, well, no, you should all be out, not hiding cloak and dagger. Because if you all stand together, that's how you beat it, right? Right. Not by going in a private meeting and, well, what are we going to do? Well, that's not going to solve anything. So it's the and, it's, so so it's medical boards making these decisions. It's not. I mean, politicians aren't speaking out against this. Judges aren't saying, "Wait a minute, this this goes against." No, because I believe the medical boards are all uh, complicit. Like they're they're being controlled. They're being bribed by the government as far as I'm concerned it's all about money and corruption just like the Ontario physicians uh, and surgeons like what they're doing to the, the the doctors here you know there was this lovely doctor I was listening to who was uh, a doctor in a hospice you know caring for these elderly people end-of-life people and she was just speaking out about how these lockdowns and the isolation was was killing her patients and just speaking out like that, they, they suspended her license. And so then a few other doctors, like Dr. Shoemaker and Dr. Trozzi, they went to help her, to help give prescriptions for her patients because her patients were left with no doctor. And then because they were standing up for her, their licenses are now suspended. So the, the colleges are all corrupt. 
I always wondered when I became a hygienist, that was back in, um, 94. And that was the first year that the dental hygienists were not licensed under the same body as the dentist. Cause it used to be the hygienists were under the same licensing body as the dentist. And it was all lumped together and they, they held a, they kept a nice ratio of dentist to hygienists and it worked out really well. And I thought, why are they having a separate licensing body for the hygienists? Because then there's a conflict of interest where I have a licensing body telling me that this is the way I have to practice, yet I have a boss telling me, no, you're to do it this way. But my licensing body was telling me to do it another way. But I suspect now that I am aware of all this corruption, that the more licensing bodies they could have, then the more insidious this corruption could be, where they, they compartmentalize more and more licensing bodies for smaller groups of professions. And there you go. It's easier to tackle this. Gee, figure that was 30 years ago. You know, this plan's been in, in play for decades. Yeah. So now it all makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, the colleges are all corrupt. So the, but, but, I know when I was a hygienist, you know, they put the fear of God into you and you think, oh my God, if I do anything to, because, oh no, the CDHO is there to protect the public, not you. So you better watch your step because if there's any complaints brought against you, we can take your license away. And if we audit you and you do your portfolio and we don't think it's up to snuff, we can come in to your office and watch you. We can pull any chart, check anything out. We're here to protect the public. Well, we all know that that's not happening now. They're they're not protecting the public in any of these professions. See, and and, and that leads me to the to the point that that I wanted to ask you about and and sort of theorize about because you've heard me say a thousand times on this show that these people in in these perceived positions of power have no idea that they're running themselves out of their own lines of work. I know. I mean, they're killing their own clientele. They're they're killing their customers. They're they're killing their their own employees. They're killing themselves, and they're just blindly following these quote unquote orders, uh, or the perception of orders, however you want to call it. But they're doing all of this, and they're not seeing that there are less and less people working around them. There are less and less people coming in to buy their products or retain their services, uh, you know, in, in one instance or another. So it, oh, they, I, I know it's, it's, it's just, yeah. How can they, how can they possibly survive? These stories the, the one lady I work with her, her grandchild, um, <clears throat> excuse me, was at school. Uh, I think grade four and it was in the fall time. Half the school, oh, they all have RSV. There was half the school was in attendance, and there were only a couple of teachers. They were all sick. You know, and then they went back, and then they all got sick again. And then the soccer team, the whole soccer team was ill. It gets just, these schools, like you keep saying, there won't be anybody left at schools. I still see school bus drivers driving with masks on here. Yeah. I think, oh my God. 
But I mean, it, but, you know, now it just begs the question, and, and again, a lot of people have theorized about this, but what does that mean regarding the future population of Canada? Are, are they doing this, of course, not just because they're evil and they're brainwashed and they're demonic and, and all of those avenues, which is motive enough. And it, again, it's not that a criminal needs a motive to, to commit a crime or to kill someone, but... They have to imagine something a little further down the line beyond depopulation. Is there a is there an ethnicity replacement program that's taking place there, like it is lots of other places where Canada is bringing in foreigners to to retain these positions that are being lost by natural born Canadians? Oh well, sure. You you've heard of Roxham Road in Quebec, have you? No. There's a, a pretty well an open border there where. Trudeau has basically made it known that anybody can come. And, and we've seen videos where the RCMP is grabbing their luggage and helping them across the line, <laughs> the so-called line into Canada. And who are these and, people? Um, well, are they Mexican? Are they you know when Trump wanted to send the Haitians back? Oh, And no. Trudeau said, well, we'll take you here. Wow. Well, guess who was showing up at Roxham Road? And a lot of Muslims. And, well, I'm reading a book called The Story of the Committee of 300. Have you ever read that? No. With Dr. John Coleman, um, The Conspirator's Hierarchy. That was written back in 1992. And the the playbook, um, one of the things is to eradicate, you know, any type of national pride or anything like that. There's a step-by-step thing here, and one of the... Things is displacing the population with, they want to have it so that they're, if you're bringing people in from outside, they don't know what Canada is supposed to be, right? So if these, these parasites tell them this is what Canada is and they're being fed and they're being, they're being set up in motel rooms um, and being fed while our people are homeless on the street, you know, we have the same thing going on here. Um, they're being set up, they get dental care, they get everything given to them, and yet we have people here, like our veterans are being told, we can't give you what we don't have. So, yeah, this this uh, story of the Committee of 300, I heard of this from Dr. Brian Artis. He read this book and he said, if you read this book, you'll understand everything. And um, they talk about a world, one world government, utter destruction of national identity and national pride, destruction of religion, especially Christian religion, control of each and every person through means of mind control, and what Brzezinski calls technotronics, which would create human-like robots, and an end to all industrialization, and the production of nuclear-generated electric power, and what they call post-industrial zero-growth society, I heard somebody call up once when I was still driving. It was a podcast I was listening to. And this guy said he, for some reason, ended up at this elite type of party because he um, knew somebody who knew somebody and they were invited. And he said around the whole party, all these elites were walking around saying, oh, zero growth soon. And they'd giggle, zero growth soon, zero, zero growth. And... They were thinking, what the heck are they talking about? This is what they were talking about. Yeah. 
you know, legalization of drugs and pornography. Hmm. Yeah. Look what Trudeau did with that, uh, the legalization of this, the marijuana, and now they're talking about legalizing harder drugs here. I wonder why that would be. Um, you know, I, I've heard of the committee of 300. I just didn't know that. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I'm assuming that it's not a separate one for Canada. It, it's clearly the global. No, no, no. This worldwide. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It's worldwide, but in Canada, they've, you know, even before 2020, um, they were the, the blatant, um, catering they were doing to the Muslims. And I'm not talking about Muslims who actually wanted to escape, you know, the horrible situations they were in, you know, they just want to live their quiet life. I'm talking about the radical Muslims that want to make everyone else Muslim, right? right? And that we are all the infidels and, uh, it's, uh, they've already been doing that. And now they're, they've got that open border there and people are flooding over here. And I know Quebec is already, they're already not very tolerant or they weren't very tolerant to regular Canadians. You know, if you didn't speak French, um, I always hated driving in Quebec because they don't even have any signs, road signs in English, which I think is a safety concern, but it's, uh, another story. But, um, there was a book I read called Infidel from Ayan Hershey Ali, and she was warning about how the Muslims had a plan to take over. So you already had that issue going on. And now with everything else that's going on, they're, they're, they're trying to destroy our society completely. And, and, and you know, it's interesting because when I talk to some of the young kids at work, you know, I'm talking 20 years old, they are more concerned with their their smoking pot and their games and everything else. Oh, you know, well, what are we going to do about this? I said, you know what? I said, I'm already getting close to 60 here, so I won't be on this planet. But as long as you, you should be concerned because this is your future we're talking about. Well, there's nothing we can do. And I said, well, and then the one kid, well, I got the two shots because I wanted to have fun. I said, oh, yeah? You going to have fun when you're dead? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. The, the, the docile society, that's what they want. That They've always wanted that. If they can pigeonhole these, pigeonhole youth and pigeonhole their parents into being very routine-oriented around things that do not matter, then they've got them right where they want them. Yep. Well, I, I, I wonder too, Sean, what you're saying, you know, what their, what their whole plan is. Well, are they going to replace? Yeah, they're going to try and replace all of us. And maybe just like Australia, I think they want Canada for the natural resources. And maybe China has something to do with that. It's, it's hard to say, but yeah, their plan is I'm sure they want to get rid of all of us. Yeah. And uh my mother said she she was talking to a woman who comes in to help her once a week and this woman said she was in a bigger city and went to a restaurant. They had no people for servers. They had robots. And um that's what their plan is. 
they figure they can replace all of us with these robot-like things. When I was driving truck, I was down in South Carolina. I went to Walmart to pick up some, some food, and they had no cashiers. It was all automated. I thought, what the heck is this? Because I never use that. I always go to a cashier. Right. And um, I thought, well, it's starting. Yeah. They know a lot of us are going to be gone. And so, it, it, and I'm seeing what, help wanted things everywhere here. Just like when I was still driving, I saw them in the States too. A lot of jobs. Yeah. Available. Right. That bring that brings into the you know, I don't want to say a final question, but it brings in one of the things that I wanted to ask you about too, of course, which was the digital currency. Given the fact that uh -huh. they're removing, of course, all of the people within those positions that would you know where a, clearly a cash exchange would typically take place, and replacing them, of course, with the machines. What are you seeing in Canada regarding a cashless society? Well, I know they're talking about it. I know they're also talking about the universal basic in income too. And I think we're a little ahead of you as far as all that stuff goes. And that is something that's deeply concerning to me. My mother lives just on the outskirts of Niagara Falls. So it's just like a tiny little suburb outside of that. And there was just one bank there and, you know, a smaller little community. And that bank just closed down. And she doesn't drive, so she has to go drive further to the bank now. They're making it more and more difficult. Now, in the small town I live in, well, there's two banks because we're a smaller community. Things are farther spread apart. They can't really do that here yet. But I know there there's talk about it. And there's even if you go to the government website, you can see how they've got it lined up for that. So I'm very concerned about that very concerned i we we know that if it gets to that we're done and you know i don't want to put any pressure on the americans but the americans have always been like the the, the people who could come and save the rest of us you know because yeah. our military is a joke and um i don't know this is this is very, very serious. Yes, there are people, a lot of people awake here to that. But um, I don't, I don't know. I can't see how it's going to work. How do you, how do you avoid it? You know, if I need to pay a bill and I say, I don't want to be part of this, but I need to pay my house tax, what do I do? Animal coin? A silver? Yeah. You know, it's 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 something that has to be stopped from higher up. It's beyond evident that it's continuing to sort of be a slow roll of 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 techniques that they're using in order to normalize all of it. Of course, one of the problems I think is that they've got a great deal of society so docile that they that that segment of society views it as being a convenience. Yeah, yeah well, the one truck driver I talked to, I don't know, I was trying to wake him up, it, it didn't work, but uh, he was saying, oh, no, I use my, my bank card all the time. I don't use cash. Yeah. And I was trying to tell him, no, you really should use cash, cash as much as you can. And I 
did tell the people I work with, I explained to them what was coming. This isn't about health. This is about control. I say that line over and over again every chance I get. Um, use cash, use cash, use cash. So now there was this talk show I listened to from Great Britain. He's a journalist from, you know, old, old school journalist. And he has people calling in from all over the world. And he said that uh, a businessman called in and said he actually has observed more people using cash. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Are, right? there, are there signs that you see outside of places that will say either cash only or we don't accept cash? Um, during 2020, I saw it sometimes. But, you know, I saw it more when I was driving in your country. Yeah. I remember it in Virginia quite a bit. Um, it, it, it varied from state to state, but there were some, they'd say we have a shortage of cash and, you know, we, we really don't want to, or coins, or there was something like that. There were these signs, but I haven't seen that here yet. I haven't seen that. So um, I know that when you try to get bigger lumps of cash out of the bank, here it's just like over there where they're oh you know you're gonna have to make an appointment and we'll have it here next week for you or something like that yeah so um i think the, there's I, a problem right because they yeah. were closing people's bank accounts um if you uh, were supporting the trucker convoy so there's a lot of people here who don't trust the banks now yeah and i think if the banks are pressured to do away with checks and they're, you know, and they just do away with the ability to produce a check and then send the checks out to people, of course, who need to pay bills via check. That's going to that's just going to be one massive step toward the digital currency avenue, I think, and certainly a cashless society. Again, uh, well, I don't know. It's 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 going to get ugly, but we know that the slow roll of their plan is easier than just hitting people over the head with it immediately. Because well, that would talking about a slow people. roll, a couple of years ago, this is even before 2020, I, I remember I went into the bank and there was actually somebody standing there with a clipboard right where the line was and was trying to direct you to go to the bank machine instead of talking to the teller. Or, or are you interested in online banking? And I said, they're paying you to stand here and do this? Like, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. Now I know what was up. Right. The, the, the passport thing is very concerning. Um, the digital currency. So, but no, I have not seen any signs like that yet. Now, that's not to say that in a bigger city like Toronto. Because Toronto is so woke. It's like... New York City. <laughs> when right. I was there, you you know, you saw the compliant people with the masks and everyone was all doing the same thing and but um where I am it's more rural. More people are awake. Um but yeah, Stacy, uh just to change the subject, Stacy had given her two weeks notice for that job and uh she didn't even make it the two weeks. They were abusing her so much. Um, she, she said, you know what? You can't control me anymore. She says, I already quit. 
Like, stop your gaslighting. Stop your harassment. So then the commanding officer told her, well, you're on leave without pay again. Stacy said, fine. She had one week left. So she's got a story to tell. Maybe you can reach out to her, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. She, she's, of course, welcome on any time. And, uh, and let her know that, you know, same thing with Damien. I hope he's doing all right. Uh, I, yeah, they're, it's kind of, they're, they're struggling, I think. But I think you, could, you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped kind of thing. And my, I, I have this real idea in my head that if you focus on, my mental health is bad. My mental health is bad. My mental health is bad. Your mental health is going to be bad. Right. You've got to focus on gratitude, on positive things, on what can I do to make myself feel better? Because you can't change external forces, right? Right. So they are living on our property right now. They have a little wood stove in their trailer. It's all insulated on the bottom. They're doing okay. Damien's job. He's. I said, you have to look at what you have, not what you don't have. Damien has trade. He's doing well. He just uh, switched jobs to another company that's more organized and there's work. And so I said, look at that. Focus on the good. But um, they they struggle, you know. It's uh, well, you know, we're not older like you. You know, we we were our life is being interrupted. I said, you and billions of others. So. Our life is being interrupted too. We're supposed to be retired now, just enjoying. And um, it's just, it's bad no matter what age you are for different reasons. Yeah. It's, right? It's war. It's war. And war is ugly, right? Yeah. You know, I listened what, to my in-laws talk. They were in Germany um, during the war. They were children. And, uh, you know, there was no food to eat. And they were going into the ditches and picking nettle to boil in a pot because they were starving. And, you know, my mother-in-law and her brother would be robbing a train car full of food if they had to eat because they had no food. And, you know, it was ugly, ugly stories. And that's the problem now is that people, especially in North America, have not experienced things like that. So I think that's why it's harder to wake them up. Like, we, we know some people that are from Poland and, uh, you know, like Art Pulowski to the pastor, uh, you know, people who lived in that kind of situation, they, they are awake because they see it all over again. Stacy's friend was from Venezuela. He's an officer in the military here and he's completely awake because he, he said, I left that to come here and now look what I'm living. I'm seeing it all over again. But Canadians and Americans, we've never had that. Yeah. Never. So, you know, it's 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 hard to get your head wrapped around that. And and you know, but, um, to, to bring up a positive here to sort of conclude this, if you don't mind, I I think that. Um, and again, anything else you'd like to add, please go for it. I think that there's well, there's always been this talk for quite some time that. 
of course, more Americans have to wake up and more, more individuals have to see how deep the corruption goes. Because people like me and people like you, you know, we've experienced corruption at different levels at different times in our lives. And not everybody has, as, as you just said. You know, a lot of people just, they haven't had the hardship, they haven't had the experience, they, they don't know. They think that they're insulated because they have a job or they make X amount of money or they live in this size of a house or whatever it may be. And that's not, that's not realistic. That's not good enough. Everybody has to see how their entire world around them has been completely manipulated to the point where basic decisions that they think that they're making for themselves, they're, they're, they're really not. They're, they've been told to make those decisions by government or the society around them. And I really do believe, again, you know, there's a lot of chatter on the internet boards and the things that I pay attention to, of course, that more Americans have to wake up. The more Americans that wake up, the more Canadians wake up, the more South Americans wake up, et cetera, et cetera, that, that all of that is a very good thing, that that's not something that goes away because as we know, when you wake up and you see things as they are, you don't go back to sleep. No. I mean, you're 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 permanently awake now. So. Yeah, there's no going back. Right, but but there have to be individuals within government, of course, that that know what's going on. They have this played out a particular way, and it's not a it's not a trust government kind of thing. It's a trust people who, you know, or at the very least, understand that it's mathematically impossible that there are people within these positions within government who know what's going on and that many of them are in fact good guys and that those battles and those wars are taking place within those governmental organizations in all of our countries. And I th again, I think that with every passing day, it's only a matter of time before more dominoes continue to fall because in a good way. Because again, here in the United States, a lot of dominoes are falling in a very good way. You know, we have... Yeah, I see that too. Yeah. I see that... Uh, and did you see Christia Freeland, that deputy minister over here, that piece of crap, um, uh, Trudeau's or Castro's right-hand man, right-hand bitch, whatever right. you want to call her. Sure. Um, she was being questioned by a senator. Um, she was asking for $2 billion to send over to Ukraine. And the senator was saying, for what reason? What, what company are you looking at? What are you looking at? Oh, well, Biden sent all this money over and like her, her excuse was so lame and so weak. And the senator was grilling her yeah, and saying, so you're asking me to invest in a company that doesn't exist. Like, what are you talking about? And she was just sputtering over her words. And I thought, well, that's awesome. And I think the senators here in Parliament, that was something way back when I wasn't awake. Not really. And I was listening to a radio show back in, let's say, 2015, and they were talking about, oh, we're considering getting rid of, rid of the senators in Parliament. Now I understand, because I think the senators have power that interferes with their ability to get all the power they want. Um, and see, now the senators are kind of standing in their way with certain things like this that is not part of Klaus Schwab's plan, let's face it. So that's a good thing. That's a positive that I can look at. They didn't just say, oh, here you go. Here's $2 billion extra. Yeah. But I, I 
my concern is we are so vulnerable here. We have no military, not really. And if China wanted to come in here and say, we're taking it over, well, the only people that might have a chance are the ones who have some guns in their, their gun case and, and maybe can defend themselves, but I don't know. We are really, really vulnerable here. Yeah. And I know Australia is in the exact same boat. And of course, you know the connection between Canada, Australia, and and uh, Great Britain. Of course, they're all under the crown. Mm-hmm. But one of the theories, of course, that's been bouncing around for quite some time, of course, is that Canada will no longer be under the crown in the future. Neither will Australia. And there will be enough good individuals to overrun what's going on in those countries and, and basically oust oust the evil as, as much as they can. And then potentially uh, Australia and Canada will be under the guidance of the United States. That would be awesome. Yeah. You know, we need to get rid of these parasites once for all, once and for all. Yeah. So we Let can me, only pray and hope. Yeah. Let me mention this too, just in the interest of, of Stacy and, and her frame of mind and you know, any anything regarding that. Um, of course, I wish her the best and everything, and, and I'm glad that she's out of that toxic environment, no doubt about it. Again, she, she knows that she's been on this show and, and discussed it at length, and I, like I said, she's welcome to come back, so please tell her. Uh, mm-hmm. th- that is, if she wants to rehash all of it and run through it again, because I know it's exhausting. Um, mm-hmm. I also know it's cathartic if she if she does that it's certainly therapeutic to at least get it out and mention it and and understand of course that that she's not alone in that regard cuz endless people have experienced what she's experienced the the harassment the badgering all of it in particular during this time but one of the things that i'm i'm certain she's experiencing it i i of course have experienced it in my life and and endless people have is that you reach a particular stage where you're trying to control things that you can't control so yeah one of the healthier things to do of course is to just focus on what you can control and one of those as as i'm sure you're aware of is your physical health to some extent that's right yeah exercising eating right drinking the right things getting outside staring at the sun and I know that that's all easier said than done, and even hearing that is exhausting because the individual who's been beaten down so much is just hearing people provide them advice, and they're going, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. You know, I, I know all of these things. But it's not even looking at the larger picture. It's just doing one thing. It's just doing one thing differently each day, you know, one day at a time, and and that seems to help. I mean, that's what you know, that's what pulled me out of having depression a number of years ago was, is I just, you know, I I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to do anything, but I found that if I just helped myself first, then other people would look at me and they'd say, you know, I I need your help. And then I'd say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give you a hand with this or I'll help you out with that. But I had to help myself first. And so that's right. And that's what's frustrating as a parent, Sean, is that I know I can't help them. Like I, because I don't know if it's because I'm the mother and I, you know, they're not going to really listen to me, but you know, I don't just say things. I do them. Right. I 
I, I am up early. I am working out every morning for an hour. I, or I'm going for a walk in the snow or I'm, I'm doing stuff, right? Or I'm eating healthy or I'm doing all these things. But to tell somebody else, you can't order them. Right. They've got to take the bull by the horns. And you're, you, actually what you said is a really good thing to say, pick one thing to start with. You know, there was one kid at work, you know, he's a little overweight and he's, he's not that well. And I say, you know, you don't have to work out an hour a day first. I said, just go for a 10 minute walk. Just do something. Yeah. And then build on that, right? So, you know, now, you know, Stacy and Damien are, we were happy. We got them here. It's kind of like, okay, they're under our wing until we kind of ride this out. But now they're talking about moving. And again, we we are just parents. What do we know, right? But they want to move out to New Brunswick because they don't want to put their life on hold anymore. And they want they think real estate's going to be cheaper there. Well, if real estate's tr- cheaper, it's usually for a reason. It's usually because there's not as much work, or things are are just the the economy's even depressed more. If you move far away like that, you're not close to family. You don't have that support anymore. You'll be close to Stacy's friend, but you won't have your family support. But they've kind of pushed us away anyways. They're on our same property. and We don't see them very often. Um, I don't really want to push myself on them. I don't want to invade their privacy, but they've kind of withdrawn into themselves. And now that Stacy's working at my place again, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm seeing her. She only worked one day the last two weeks until she comes back full time. But it's it's a it's a awkward situation for my husband and I to try and deal with this. You know, they're they're planning on leaving in the spring, and I there's nothing we can do to stop them. And I don't think this is the best time to be moving. When the world, like 2023, is going to be a ter- tumultuous year, I think. Um, but there's nothing we can do about it. So I'm concerned. Um, there's nothing else we can do, though. Well, so and you can you can you can keep doing what you've been doing, which is of course loving them and caring about them and and making them understand, of course, that they have a place to. They have a place to, to return to if things don't work out a particular way. You know, at the exact same time, I understand the need to, to feel more independent and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, tr- and try to rebuild from, from what was taken from you. Because, again, wanting to rebuild from what was taken from you is innate, you know, in, yeah. in, in all of us. And that's that's something where, again, if people can feel control over something wh- where the enemy has taken things from you, you know, it's a it's a big middle finger to the enemy, and we're saying, "Hey, look, you know, you you took things away from us, and we're not going to let you do that anymore." So yes, we we regrouped, you know, we returned to our family, we we reorganized, we did the things that we needed to do, and now we're going to go give it another try. I admire, you know, I admire that. That's a that's a big big deal, and I'm not trying to I'm not, I'm not trying to impose. You know, myself no, no, on, on your family at all. See, you're a younger guy, right? So you're going to look at things a little differently too. And um, I, that's that's good to get another perspective on it. 
It's just as a parent, you worry, right? Oh, sure. I mean, it's not a it's not a scraped knee. You know, as a mom, your your kid falls off their off their bicycle, they scrape their knee. You're the one with the solution. You know, mm-hmm. you you run up to them, you pick them up, you you dust their knee off, you put a bandaid on it, and and you've solved the problem. You know, this is this is war. This is a different. This is a whole different ball game. And uh, you know, and it's it's not easy for everybody. But again. You know, we can look at the bright side of things. They're not jabbed. They're not gonna be. They're mm-hmm. they're awake, and and I don't think they're gonna necessarily fall back asleep. But uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, that's uh, you know that's where Damien struggles. Is he'll come home and some days, uh, you know, I I just went over there to bring them their their mail the one afternoon, and he was rather upset, like right just crying and I said what the heck's going on with you guys what's going on and he said I, I just can't stand seeing all the people that are completely asleep just going around their life like everything's normal and and I know what's I see it coming and and I said well you can't change that you can't you can only change your response to it that's it yep but again they're young so uh, takes a little more practice for them to get to that point, I guess. You know, continuing to learn was a big thing for me too. Again, there there was a point there, like I said, when you know I didn't want to talk to anybody, I didn't want to do anything, I didn't even want to read, and and I actually just found silence to be the best thing. I mean, it was great. I just loved not talking for an entire day. <laughs> I mean, it was you know some people would say that such a habit is is strange, but you'd be you'd be surprised how how quickly the body and the mind can heal when you just have silence and you don't have to worry about answering questions or, you know, uh, uh, trying to justify your position on a particular thing. Silence is, is, is very healing. So. Yeah. Uh, well, as an introvert, I can understand that. Cause you know, I, I go into a quiet space just to recharge, you know? Yeah. That's, an extrovert needs people to recharge. I need quiet to recharge. There you go. I think most. I think yeah, most I, people need quiet. They just don't. They don't understand the benefits of it all the time. You know, and, and yeah. I, I'm sure some people might be afraid of it because they're afraid of, of what they'll think about or or uh, you know what what sounds or voices might come to them and suggest that they maybe you know do this or do that or or, or change something in their lives. But I don't know. I know it's oh, all. That's true because, I know a lot you know, of sometimes there are days down. where I can't sit still because if yeah. I sit still, I think way too much. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes if you're having one of those dark days, you don't want to be thinking too much. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But I guess I uh, I guess I've kept you on here too long. We're gonna we're gonna tire out the people who are listening to this possibly. <laughs> no. So. It's all right. It's it's great stuff. It's an I mean it's amazing perspectives and and this right here should prove to anybody listening that this is happening all over the place. This is happening in every town, every city. It's happening within almost every single family certainly when you have family members who are awake and family members who are not and you have family members who are awake and 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 trying to find a particular place and and trying to find their spot in life and then at the exact same time I mean I, I don't know there, there's multiple dimensions to it but if you, if you sit and you th- and you and you just sit back and think about it you cannot avoid the importance of what's going on 
it's just all so important because it has everything to do with humanity and and living and being alive and and making sure that we stay alive yeah that's the battle right now thank you for listening to american education fm make sure and check out americaneducationfm.com for more information take care and god bless